1: We are so, so, so pleased to welcome acclaimed short story writer Elizabeth Crane, who will be reading from her debut novel, We Only Know So Much, which is about four generations of an eccentric family living under one roof. Um, The New York Times Book Review has said of Crane, Crane has a distinctive and eccentric voice that is consistent and riveting. Um, She's the author of three collections of short stories, When the Messenger is Hot, All This Heavenly Glory, and most recently, You Must Be This Happy to Enter. She's a recipient. the Chicago Public Library 21st Century Award Um, and her work has been featured on NPR selected shorts and adapted for the stage by Chicago's Steppenwolf Theater which is totally awesome so please welcome Elizabeth Crane
0: thank you everyone I know and thanks Cecil it was a bonus to have you here I didn't know that was happening so very nice. Um, so, I have never read from a novel before, so I was sort of like not sure what to read, but then I heard these lovely ladies in the audience the other day give a talk on how to read, and I learned many things that I hope to put into practice, like not messing with my hair and things like that. Uh, so, I'm just going to read from the beginning. It's totally self-explanatory, and then I'm going to read another little chapter uh, that should make sense. At the moment... The Copeland family is a bit at odds. First of all, Priscilla is a bitch. Or at least a brat. An extreme brat. Look, we're just reporting what we've heard. Maybe bitch is too harsh. Let's say it this way, her attitude is often poor. The reasons are currently unclear. For one thing, her parents might have done better to rethink that name. Right? It's not very contemporary. Something about it is just bitchy sounding. Maybe she knew that when she was little. She's been this way since she was born, and she's 19 now, and it's only gotten worse. What are you supposed to do when your daughter's like this? No one wants to believe their kid's not the nicest person. But think about it. Girls like this aren't born in a void. Jean and her husband, Gordon, have punished her, of course, told her no, admonished her, this sort of thing, but nothing's worked. They've come to think it's just innate. That may or may not be true. Maybe she got it from her great-grandmother, genetically or otherwise. Just a thought. And Priscilla's like this everywhere. At home, at work, at school, everywhere. Let's hope that you're if a waiter that if you're a waiter, she never sits at your table. If she sits at your table, she will be sending some, some shit back. And if you do that waiter thing where you introduce yourself, you will rue that choice because she will use your name so many times that by the time she leaves, you will want to change it. <laughs> Jean and Gordon almost never take her to restaurants anymore. Dinner at home is tough enough. Somehow, Priscilla has friends. She's actually a fairly social creature, but even her friends know she's got an attitude, and much is said about it behind her back. How Priscilla sees it is that she's just honest. Her mother has, of course, pointed out many times that being honest doesn't have to mean being rude. Priscilla is pretty, not the prettiest ever, but pretty, and she has good style and hopes to be on television one day. Right now, that's a little nebulous, in the sense that she's not really sure in what capacity she'd like to appear on television. She's still living at home, but she's been working at Express for a year since she graduated. A long year. She's sort of interested in acting, but not really. Really, she's just more interested in being herself on television. The boy, Otis, is a sweet nine-year-old who does all his math homework as soon as he gets his new textbook at the beginning of the year, just because he likes to. He's been doing that since first, first grade. He's in third now. Otis likes math, likes solving problems, figuring things out. Kind of just can't help but do one more, and before he knows it, he's done with the whole thing. This, of course, makes the rest of the year pretty boring. But his family has other things on their mind, so sometimes he builds crossword puzzles, and other times he pulls the legs off insects, caterpillars in particular. Otis feels kind of bad about this habit, but when he gets in the mood to do it, he just can't stop himself. For this reason, Priscilla has not called her brother anything but Freak, Baby Freak, or Freak Baby for the past four years. (laughs) Otis was named after the elevator company. Well, maybe not after the elevator company exactly. Jean wasn't trying to commemorate them or anything. She just noticed it in an elevator once when she was pregnant with him and liked the sound of it. Gordon has never known about the origin of his son's name. Jean has learned not to start conversations. Gordon's not a bad guy, but he's kind of a know-it-all. He likes to tell you things, often and at length. He doesn't mean to condescend, though his comments are sometimes taken that way. He's a good bit away from pompous, and he's always friendly and upbeat. He spent a summer traveling around Europe with his parents when he was 10, which provided him with an inexhaustible supply of information about anything European. He's attractive enough in a small market weatherman kind of way. His hair is combed. Gordon has a degree in hospitality and an extensive background managing restaurants and claims to have worked for the FBI, to have been a private detective and also a hospital aide, this qualifying him to discuss aspects of medicine and hospital management, almost as though he has a medical degree. As need be, if it pertains to the conversation, he will call up other brief careers and fields of study that date either to high school or to interim periods between longer jobs. It's not that it's not possible that he's had all these jobs, though it certainly doesn't seem probable. It's more like the extent of his responsibilities has been exaggerated that along the way he just took a lot of notes. For as long as he's been married though, Gordon has been in middle management at a local chain of supermarkets, giving him a vast knowledge of any and all products sold in these supermarkets, as well as many competing supermarkets, along with his knowledge of marketing, advertising, and customer service. What it all comes down to. We get it, Gordon, you know stuff. Once, Gene had a lot of potential. Her school counselors said so, lots of people did. She was a straight-A student, though she worked hard for it. And she loved reading more than anything, but she didn't know what anyone could do with that career-wise. She started college with a major... (laughs) She started college with a major in library science, but found the required coursework dull, so she switched to liberal arts, taking a position as an administrative assistant in the English department of their local college that she kept until Priscilla was born. She was an attractive enough girl, long brown hair with a middle part and a nice slender figure, but was one of those girls who sort of went unnoticed. Picture, 1970s era 10th grade photo on the side of a milk carton with the red letter caption missing, except she isn't. She's never had much of a sense of style, would observe the other girls at school with their corduroy bell-bottoms and coordinated polyester shirts. But when it came time to go shopping, the choices baffled her, and she tended to end up with whatever her mother picked out, straight leg Lee jeans and blouses with Peter Pan collars or ties at the neck, cotton, plaid, often. Jean married young. Gordon was, still is, a few years older, and Jean was thrilled that someone so worldly would pay her attention. When they first met, Jean had never been anywhere more exotic than Yellowstone, hadn't been out of the country at all, so his stories about secret passageways in Bavarian castles and polo matches in Sardinia sounded incredibly romantic to her. He hadn't actually been to these places or events, he just told stories about them. <laughs> Alright, so that's the first little bit. Gotta drink some water. Mmm! big gulp. And then, uh, a bunch of stuff happens. Uh... And I'm not gonna, I'm not giving anything away that you don't find out in the first 20 pages, but um, Jean's been having an affair with a guy who, for for maybe a year or two, and he kills himself. And because she's been, this has been her secret, she has really no one to turn to. So she's been suffering silently. Jean is wandering around the mall today. She's gone there to pick up a new book she's heard about, even though she hasn't been, James is her lover- even though she hasn't been able to read a thing since James died, is still barely able to flip through a magazine without seeing James on every page. Every black and white perfume ad of muscled lovers is James and Jean, though nothing particularly muscled ever came into the real-life picture. Every recipe with an ingredient once eaten by Jean and James in some dish, every article somehow reminding her of James, every title with James in it somewhere. Slave to James. Products for you, James tested, wife approved. Your most secret sex question, how can I get James to watch porn with me? (laughs) 10 positions James has never heard of but needs to try. How to find James in 30 days. How to leave James at work. How to meet James at the grocery store. How to dress for yourself but make James think it's for him. (laughs) What does your James mean? Why women are obsessed with James. Six ways to get over a James. Why James Loves Power-Hungry Women, James's Best Masturbation Tips, The Body Language of James, DIY, make a... I'm sorry, you guys told me not to laugh, but I'm laughing at myself. Make a festive centerpiece out of James. <laughs> <laughs> Signs of Menopause, James might not know. Should people be allowed to buy James with food stamps? Best James removal gadgets. Four easy ways to get healthy James. The tough stuff. James is taking over our lives. Is James's dress too slutty? <laughs> know how we always say to wear spanks under your spandex? This photo of James shows you exactly what we mean by that. James is the hot new lunch meat. Style secrets from James. Five steps to planting a James garden. Beware of James washing. One thing James keeps private. Wandering through a department store, Jean mindlessly fingers various cosmetics, tries on a lipstick in a bright shed of red that is decidedly not her. It's unflattering, but it is bold. For a second, she thinks of leaving it on as a little screw you to the world. Huh, screw you. Is that really what she's going for? She's about to wipe it off when a saleswoman bounces up from under the counter, and tells Jean it's fabulous. Pulls out a few samples and creams, directs Jean to sit on the tall chair right in front of her. She'll give her a free makeover. A makeover. A super idea. She hasn't updated her look in forever. If this were one of those TV makeovers, it could go either way. She could be one of those who end up looking kind of generically shiny, not improved so much as just different. But if they get it right, she could be a knockout, walk in the front door for the reveal, and watch as Gordon somehow finally notices her, sees both her outside and inside, such as the power of a TV makeover. In fact, Priscilla could probably help her mom out, make her look like herself, but better, fresher. But no one's thinking of that right now. That's not what's happening here. She's in a mall. Jean doesn't expect this will change much of anything. Thinks maybe it will be a little pick-me-up at best. And for the first moment or two, she's, also, she's able to tune out the saleswoman's pitches, feeling only the woman's gentle touch on her face, drifting away for a brief moment in which these hands belong to James, a moment where James is lovingly touching her face as he once had. But as the saleswoman dabs on an under eye cream, Jean drifts back in on the word anti-aging. I'm sorry, Jean says. What did you just say? I was saying that this is one of the best products on the market right now for anti-aging, an incredible value. I swear by it myself. Jean looks at the jar of cream, Miracle Worker it's called, miraculous anti-aging moisturizer. To witness a miracle is to know yourself, vital, brilliant, heavenly in spirit. It's all right there on the label. This is the promise of the cream, seriously? Why is this the big thing, anti-aging? Oh, you know, we all just want to look our best, right? I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Anti-aging, Jean says. I'm sorry, I guess I don't? I think you're selling me a lie. (laughs) The saleswoman is doing everything she can to maintain her poise, somewhat concerned that this woman means this personally against her, that she is lying. Oh, but ma'am, I swear to you, this is a fabulous product. So you say. But you see, it can't possibly do what you say it does. Stunned sales lady silence now. It says anti-aging. This is the big thing, you see it everywhere, everywhere. But really, why not just say what it really is? Don't we really mean anti-death? What? (laughs) Seriously, what is anti-aging all about, really? We think it's because our culture is obsessed with youth, but think about it, at the bottom of it, we're all obsessed with death. Ma'am, I don't know what to say. I've been using this product for years. It literally turns the clock back. No, it doesn't literally do that. (laughs) The saleswoman pauses for a moment, can hear the hostility ratcheting up in Jean's voice, but doesn't want to lose the sale. I'm sorry? It doesn't literally do that. Do you know what literally means? It means... It means something actually happens. So what you're trying to tell me is that by using this product, all of time will move backward. (laughs) Which is not possible, literally or otherwise. Oh, well, I just... I truly wish that it were. I truly wish that this anti-aging cream would literally turn back the clock so that I could beg my lover not to hang himself. Jean jumps off the chair with one eye made up and the red lipstick still still on and leaves the store. Thank you. Don't be shy. Start,
1: um, okay. <laughs> how, uh, how was it different for you going from writing short stories to writing a novel? What was um, that
0: process you? It was, well, I, I I like to say that I tricked myself um, <laughs> because I, I did really think I was, st- was writing short story. Um, and then after I'd sort of, it grew longer and longer um, and I sort of decided to make the commitment to develop it into a novel. Um, then it was different because I knew there were sort of uh, structural things that I had to take into consideration and I got some help with that Uh, and certainly my editor helped me a lot. Um, I had people, I mean, I teach creative writing and I supposedly teach people how to write novels but um, some of them are here (laughs) Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, for myself, I, it's different, it's different when it's you and so so I sort of like you know, some of the advice I was like, "Well, you you might want to develop some scenes, have some characters talk to each other, um, you know, things like this." So I took the I took the suggestions. And did you
1: like? Did you? Because um, like with a short story, it's so sort of contained, you know. But like, uh, but like with a with a novel, you know, you have to sort of.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that I probably had... I didn't want to say to myself that it was a novel because I thought, like, when I was started because I thought that it would put too much pressure on me. But I did notice that the pace was a little slower, that the scenes were... So-called scenes were sort of, you know, like, taking their time. And um, I don't know. I just... um, It was the same and different. I didn't want to lose the the Mm short-storiness of what I you am used to doing yeah. um, and I don't think I ultimately really did I think it still feels like it's mine uh but I wanted to I wanted it to you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks Cecil so when you started you had all the characters like carefully delineated and set apart I was just wondering like did they all come at once, or did you have one character, and
1: then the family kind of grew
0: around them, or which one might have come Well, you know, I had, like, each of the four younger Copelands, I thought was gonna, there were going to be individual stories, you know, and then I, when I sat down, I said, i write a short story. Uh, I looked at the sort of little notes I had for short stories that were mostly sort of character sketches, and I was like, hmm, what if these people became a family? So I made them into a family, and then it was just the four of them for a while. Until um, some people already heard me say this or, before, but I, I the, the the father Gordon is struggling with what he thinks is memory memory loss, which pretty obviously isn't really memory loss, but he's freaking out. And uh, my father was suffering from Parkinson's and having like real like very real cognitive issues. Um, at the time, and so I was like, huh, if Gordon had a father who actually had memory issues um, and, had, and was kind of faced with that, that that would provide some real, some real tension. So I talked to some people, I said, what if I threw in my, my, like, a version of my father? And yes, and so I, and I just kind of threw in my grandmother just for the hell of it, because um, she was sort of a good character too, and uh, so... Then I was like, "All right, that's enough people in this one house," um, and it, that sort of that really kind of provided those two characters. The the father and the grandfather, in particular, um, really the it, things really kind of hinge on his presence and existence. So I don't know what it would have been if I hadn't put them in there. So are those the only characters that are semi autobiographical Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The rest are totally like. All made up. I used up all my autobiographical material already of my other books, so... <laughs> so, are you
1: saying you accidentally evolved this into a novel?
0: It was a total, it was totally unplanned originally, yeah. I just kept, I just kept, I had like, uh, by the time I had 30 pages written and I was nowhere near telling everyone's stories, I just was like, well, I'm having a good time, I'll just keep writing and it got longer and longer and so then I was like alright. I didn't want to say I was writing a novel because I had this idea that writing a novel took ten years or you know, and then what if it's bad? Um, you know, short stories. I love short stories and I will continue to write short stories but you know, if, if it comes out bad then it's uh, a month or two, three at most and then you know, whatever. And with a novel, like I'd spent five years on a novel that didn't get published, you know, and I don't, that's fine but I didn't want that to happen again and you know. It, just forced you through your it forced I've worked through my pain. <laughs> and I'm really happy. I mean I'm happy with it, so I'm glad I did. And I want to do it again now. So. any other questions? Are you
1: actually
0: working on something else? I have fifty pages of something that could be a novel. Can't compete. Back in the city again. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be able to make that work or not. I'm kind of stuck, which didn't happen with this book. Um, And I have more stories that might happen at some point. I mean, stories—they're written. You know, there could be another collection. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to put that out after I put a novel out or what. I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. But um, so I hope. I hope. I hope. Like once I have some time again, then I'll be able to write another novel. Adam, did you have did you have your hand up? Uh, The the writing
1: is really lovely and clear and funny. The voice is—I mean—the voice that you write in is is always really clear and seems to come so easily. You ever like finish something and then think, "I want to write something that like sounds different." And what's that like? What happens when when you get tired of the voice you're writing in and you want to else?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, that may be why I'm stuck on this other project because it's, I'm trying to make this character uh, sort of not sound anything like I usually sound, like, and sort of try to, and I and I do kind of think I have a little bit of the rhythm, like I'm using different word choices and different kind of sentence rhythms, but um, but I do kind of feel stuck because I think that it it needs to like not be me, this character, and I'm just kind of, it's I, I, it, or it needs to be a, like a super crazy messed up version of me. So <laughs> and i haven't quite got i'm going to do a little studying and research for this one i think actually so we'll see. It might it might take me 5 years i don't know. Anybody else?
1: All right. Well, please please give a warm warm applause <laughs> for, our, for our